Welcome to the Newsmakers Podcast. I'm Billy Hollowell, and this is a show where we go behind the headlines every day to bring you an interview with a pastor, entertainer, politician, or other notable news figure. And this is a show, again, it's daily, but it's based on our weekly TV show, which is also called Newsmakers. You can watch it on the CBN News Channel and also on our YouTube page. And on this show, every day, we dive deep. It's a little more longer form with one of the people who you will often see on our Newsmakers show or across the CBN News platforms. On today's Newsmakers, we're sitting down with Tal Heinrich. She is a spokesperson for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. She's going to tell us about why she believes Israel is fighting to stay alive in its battle against Hamas and why Israel won't back down as it combats what she called pure evil. With no further ado, here is Tal Heinrich. Let's start with October 7th. What was it like for you when you started to learn the details of what had happened? It was awful. I was in New York. I live in New York. It was a Friday night for us. In Israel, it was a Saturday morning. But I was at home. I just came back from Friday night, shishi, dinner, as we say. And we started learning about the rockets. And it seemed, you know, suspicious from, from the very beginning, the, the magnitude of, of the rocket fire. And then we started learning about the atrocities. We were, you know, hooked to glue to the news TV screen in Hebrew. And physically, I can describe to you that it was hard to breathe. I felt as if I was trying to take in air and the oxygen was not absorbing in my body. That's how I described it to my fiance. And um, I got the call from the prime minister's office and I was told to take the first available flight from New York, which I did the day after with uh, the national airline that doesn't fly on Shabbat. Uh, and I think up until that moment when I got on that flight, it was hard to breathe. You couldn't breathe. And when, when the flight took off and when it landed was gradually, I started feeling as if more and more air was coming into my lungs. And finally, when I landed in Israel, and I know that I'm describing to you on, on the very, very personal level, but... I, that's what I want to hear, though. I want to hear that. So suddenly the air filled me in. I felt like, that's it. Now you're here. Now you're doing something. Now you're part of the national effort against pure evil. And I just, the moment I, I, I saw people in the streets, I saw, you know, I went right into the central command from which the public, the national public diplomacy directorate, we, we have the, our center, we do all the interviews from there. And we were mobilized and everyone in the country, civilian, soldiers, uh, you know, war cabinet, everyone was mobilized and is still mobilized, you know, four and a half months later, one way or another, which is really, really remarkable. Um, you don't see left and right and center right now in Israel. Everyone is united in this. We know that you are united with us here. We know that if we are running for to, to take shelter when there's rocket fire, spiritually, you're running with us. Um, it gives us strength. You know, while we're talking on the personal level of this, making the decision to say, I'm going to be a spokesperson for the prime minister in the midst of one of the most difficult moments in the history of Israel. That's a big decision to make. And you're doing interviews, you know, on, on lots of different outlets and you, you're facing, you know, your own form of rocket fire in that. What is that like? 
the decision itself, it's a no-brainer. Your country needs you. You show up. I know that you would have done the same. Was the U.S. or, you know? Um, but it's a different kind of war, the war of information that we're fighting. Um, there's outside pressure that we have to deal with. There are a lot of, you know, inaccuracies reported, um, contemporary ones, historical ones, uh, many of them that we have to fight. We have to keep reminding people of what happened, how we got to where we are in a war that we, a war that we didn't want and didn't start. We have to keep reminding people of October 7th, the atrocities that happened, um, what the hostages are going through. Um, I know that with your audience, I don't have to keep reminding people we're here at the NRB and it's just, you know, it's a, it's a, diff a different kind of conversations, the ones that I'm having here, um, because it's an in-the-know audience. They understand. They understand. They understand. But my point is always um, that there's the information war, but it's not the most important war. Um, yes, there's pressure. Yes, it's nice to have support. But we're not fighting to get likes on social media. I'm not fighting for support. Uh, and I, I wouldn't stop the fight if it was for a lack of support. We're fighting to stay alive, period. Fighting to stay alive. It, this is what it is. Help people understand this because obviously one of the critiques is 29,400, whatever the number currently that's being given you know, by the health organizations you know, on the Palestinian side, that's the number of people who have died in this allegedly you know, so people will say, well, Israel is, is basically committing a genocide. You're hearing that narrative now. And yet what you just mentioned is something that often is overlooked, that the charter of Hamas is to wipe Israel off the map, to not have Israel be present anymore. Help people understand what is actually going on from your perspective and clear up sort of that first argument on the genocide. So Israel has faced and is still facing an existential genocidal threat, as you said. Hamas, they chant it, they say it, they act on it. Um, what more proof do we need to believe them? We don't need any more proof. After October 7th, you know, we say no more. We're no longer agreeing to life next to a terror enclave ruled by a terrorist organization that wants us all dead. And their sick ideology upon which they educate Palestinian children you know, to dream to kill Jews, obliterate the Jewish state, to glorify martyrs. Um, that's what Israel is dealing with. And we say no more. You know, we're a, a very much united society right now uh, around this understanding of, of why we must dismantle, destroy this service organization. There's no question about bringing our stolen people back home. They must come back home, all of them. And what we're doing now is to guarantee that Gaza will never, ever pose a terror threat to us again, because the year is 2024. Terrorism is unacceptable. And they have to understand that every time they choose terrorism, it will be a dead end for them. And this is the message that Israel is sending, but this is the message that everyone in the civilized world should want Israel to send, not only on our behalf, but it's, it's for all of us. Otherwise, if we don't send out this clear message, it's an open invitation, you know, to terrorists around the world to sow more chaos, more bloodshed, more violence in other places, not just in our region, not just That's in the our balance. You're striking. What you're talking about there is the balance of if you allow a terrorist organization to have victory in some way, what message does that send? It sends, oh, that works, right? What you're doing will work then, and they will do it other places. We've seen this before. We saw it on 9-11. We've seen it again and again. 
What is success for Israel? You, know, you sort of mentioned making sure that you're not next to a terror organization anymore, obviously existing there. What does that look like in the end? Success in the end means that all of our stolen people will come back home to their families. Success would mean that the terrorists in Gaza will no longer have an organized war machine, that they will not have powers like they've had up until October 7th. They will lack the desire to ever hurt us again and the military capabilities to do so. That's what we want to achieve. We want to achieve a different reality in Gaza in which more pragmatic voices understand that terrorism is a dead end and a must way forward must be must be pursued. So that's what we're after. It's not about revenge. It's about accountability, because if we're not going to seek accountability, you know, all the terrorists all over the world are taking notes right now. They're observing. They're going to do exactly the same and not just in Israel, in the Middle East, but elsewhere. That's the point here. So th this question is a little bit difficult. It has to mm -hmm. do with obviously October 7th itself and the questions around how did it happen, right? I mean, lots of different questions around, you know, why, why wasn't there a better alert? Why didn't people know? If there was information known, why wasn't it prevented? How do you respond to those questions? So it's very clear that it was a big failure on October 7th and an intelligence <laughs> failure. Um, we weren't ready for this. If we were, this wouldn't have been the result. Um, this has to be investigated. It's, it is investigated. Um, we are concluding uh, very important lessons as we go and are implementing them already on the ground. But uh, in the bigger prism, of course, many people will have to provide answers down the road. But right now we're so focused on winning the war, a total victory against Hamas. That's what we want to achieve. Now, what I think is quite overlooked, uh, People look at it as a big terrorist attack, the, 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 the biggest terrorist attack since 9-11. It's, it's the scale of 20 9-11s, the magnitude of, you know, 50,000 Americans killed, 10,000 Americans kidnapped. Uh, imagine that, raped, mutilated, families burned alive. It's crazy. But it's not just a terrorist attack. We were invaded by an army of terrorists, of thousands of terrorists. 3,000. Exactly. So Israel was invaded by an organized army of death squads. That's what it was. That's October 7th. Um, and also, I think there's another overlooked aspect. People tend to forget, you know, uh, so, some, some people out there around the world, they, they think that October 7th happened, then Israel went to war. And now whatever's unfolding in Gaza is unfolding. They forget that the war is still ongoing, that more than 14,000 missiles were fired at Israel from the south and the north. And just this morning, uh, for instance, we had a terrorist attack with three terrorists, Palestinian terrorists that emerged from Bethlehem. And they started firing with automatic weapons at Israelis who woke up in the morning. They took their coffee, listened to the radio, got in their cars and started driving to work in Jerusalem. They stood at a traffic jam and the terrorists started spraying bullets at them. They killed one and they injured eight more or 11 more at this point. 
it's, I mean, unimaginable what, what is going on, what has happened, obviously. The rest of the world, a lot of different reactions. Obviously, some countries coming out and, you know, condemning Israel. America uh, mostly supporting Israel. What, what is your view right now internationally on the support? And how does a lack of support impact what Israel is doing? Let's say more countries come out against, you know, the actions there. So, again, support is a great thing to have on your side when you're fighting the most justified war out there. Um, but the lack of support or, you know, uh, it, it's not going to stop us because we're going to achieve the, the, the mission statement that we have put forward for, for this war that we didn't start. And I keep reminding it to people. Um, we're fighting to stay alive. It's it's not just, it's not a cliche. That's the reality. That's the truth. Uh, we're not going to compromise our security. I think we've done that for far too long. For 16 years, we've had Hamas missiles raining on our communities. We have agreed to live next to, to this terrorist organization for far too long. And after October 7th, we took this decision as a nation. It's not just a government speaking. It's not the military brass deciding. It's a nation that took a decision to stay alive. And we've been doing it for some more than 3,000 years in a very tough neighborhood. And we know a thing or two about survival, about prevailing, about facing brutal enemies. This is what we'll continue to do because there's no other choice. There's no other choice. You know, there's pressure right now. You know, the United Nations Security Council and so forth. We're very thankful to, for the United States, you know, for standing by our side and, and understanding the complexities involved. But you have countries there calling or protesters, apologists for Hamas, I call them, calling for a ceasefire. What's a ceasefire that will leave Hamas, the terrorists in power and leave our people in Gaza? That's not an option. It's not an option. And the Americans understand it better than anyone else because we share the same values. And we know that you wouldn't have done anything differently than what Israel is doing right now. Well, 9-11, I mean, you look at 9-11 and the fallout and there's lots of debate about, you know, the actions that were taken and how they were taken. But the reality is going out to defend the country immediately. I mean, that's what happened. Exactly. When, when you have a very legitimate military objective, and I'm being asked constantly about proportionality in armed conflict. That's what it means. It means going after achieving a legitimate military objective. And the military objective here is very, very clear. We want to destroy a terrorist organization, bring our stolen people back home. Um, that's what proportionality means in an armed conflict. And when you assess what a military operation uh, entails, of course, you assess the potential collateral damage, what it takes to achieve the mission, but you also assess the counterfactual. What would have been the result of keeping bin Laden alive? What would be the result of keeping Hamas in power? Keeping some Nazi strongholds in Nazi Germany and Japan with an imperialist ideology. This is also something that you have to bring into account. Last question for you about some of the things we've seen on college campuses, even in America, in the West, these messages that seem to be pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian. What, what is it like to see that? And why do you think that has been allowed to fester in the way that it has? You see so much ignorance out there, contemporary ignorance, historical ignorance, um, hatred 
pure hatred sometimes of, of the Jewish people of, you know, they say so some people, you know, they say, I'm not against the Jews. I'm against Israel and against Zionism. Really? What does it mean? What, how can you be, if you deny the Jewish people connection to their ancestral biblical homeland, you're against the Jews. But it's funny that some of these protesters think that they're pro-Palestinian. They're not pro-Palestinian. They are apologists for Hamas, the rapists, the, 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 the terrorists of, of Hamas. Because if they truly cared about Palestinians, about Palestinian children, their, their future, and wanted a, a better future for them, filled with hope, they would have called for the surrender of Hamas. They would have walked out there with signs saying, Hamas, lay down your weapons and surrender and bring the hostages back to their families, their Israeli hostages. That's what someone who truly cared about the life of Palestinians would have done. They would have held signs against UNRWA, a UN agency run by Palestinians that doesn't do much for the Palestinians. In fact, it does exactly the opposite. They perpetuate the conflict. They perpetuate their belief that they are refugees of wars that they themselves started and until the state of Israel will cease to exist. If you truly care about Palestinians, you would tell them, well, Israel's there to stay. Realize that. Move on. Rebuild yourself, invest in your children, not in these tunnels, 400 miles of tunnels. So they don't, don't really care about Palestinians. And now, as we operate in Gaza, I can tell you that I've seen remarkable videos of Palestinians who have been evacuating in these um, humanitarian corridors that we're uh, facilitating and securing, telling our soldiers, don't leave here before you finish off Hamas. And they curse at UNRWA. So these people know better than the ones on college campuses who think they advocate on behalf of Palestinians, but no, they don't. And this is part of the informational battle we were talking about earlier, right? And it, and it deeply matters. It opens up a lot of questions about how are we teaching young people? What are we allowing them to learn? And how do we need to do better in those areas? But I appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. We covered a lot of ground today. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. That's all for today's Newsmakers podcast. Be sure to tune in for the next episode of the show and also head over to the CBN News YouTube channel and the CBN News channel to watch Newsmakers every week. We'll see you soon.